Good morning. Okay, amazing. So it's the sales module today, one of my favorite subjects and probably the most important subject in business, secondary to marketing. Now, we've all come from the same destination, engineers that started a business in plumbing and heating. I've done exactly what you've done, and now you're doing exactly what we've done, which is transition from tradesmen to businessmen. But that transition and that journey, there's one key role that you need to take on, and that's becoming a fantastic salesman. Because to be in business, you've got to be able to sell. If you're in business and you can't sell, you're in the wrong job. But just because we're good tradespeople and we're great plumbers, gas engineers, boiler fitters, bathroom installers, it doesn't mean we have the sales and marketing skills. And that is what this um, training program, this academy, this concept is effectively all about. Now, if you want to make lots and lots of money, you just have to look at the value that you add to the marketplace. Now, being an engineer employed in trade and construction, you make a good salary. Being a one-man band business owner, if you do it right, you'll create a good income. But if you want to create millions of pounds worth of wealth, you need to level up the skills beyond the skills on the tools, and you do that by becoming great at business. But to be great at business is not about having great systems and processes first and foremost. It's about having skills that can go to the market, that can launch products, advertise products, sell products, get creative, build your brand, stand out from the crowd, do different things that the competition are doing. Because I love to hear the challenges that you guys face about people you know, selling for 1,500 pounds. There will always be those guys. So what you've got to do as the leader is understand your competition and be able to innovate, be able to evolve, be able to adapt, find a different way. And that's what excites me and always did about this sector, because competition is great for business. It's strange in the trade mastermind after coming from a hyper competitive market running Impra and having to have my finger on the pulse every day, every week, every month, because someone was coming out of a new offer or someone was coming out of a new price. It can actually make you a little bit complacent when you don't have anybody to compete against. So don't see these competitors as a negative. See those competitors as a way to force you to get better. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. And understanding your competition will allow you to stand out from the crowd. You've all been taught about competitor analysis and putting the time in to do that frequently will be your best investment. We used to do it every couple of months, have the competition come around and do a quote so we could see what they were on offer. You know, I'd look on their websites, I'd check out what they're putting on social media because I want to make sure that if I'm going into a four or five quote day, or my sales guys are going into a four or five quote day, then they know what they're walking into. Because sales is easy if you prepare. Sales is hard when you go in blind, okay? And you're all operating, operating in the same region, yeah, in most cases. So master your region. I mastered the UK, each town and city, knowing all of the businesses that operated against my national sales team because I'm the backstop. So when my sales guy calls me to objection handle, I'm going to have to tell him what to say.
Because if he can't say it, I've got to know. And the only way that I know is to do the research in those towns and cities. Yeah. So you go in well equipped and you're then able to tailor your products, your service, your solution, your offer to be able to combat, okay, what those customers say to you. You need to learn the terms and conditions. You need to understand their brand. You need to know what type of workforce they use. You need to know about their reviews. You need to have properly seen and reviewed their quotes. You need to understand their finance offers. Do they sell on 10 years? Do they sell on five years? Do they sell on 24 months interest-free? If they do sell on 24 months interest-free, do they make them put a 50% deposit up front? So in actual fact, they're only borrowing the finance on half the amount. So all of these little pointers will make you into a better salesperson. Because objection handling in its simplest form is what? What do we think objection handling in its simplest form is? It's creating a solution to a customer's concern. That's all objection handling is. It's creating a solution to a customer's concern. I need to think about it. So you walking out the door at this stage is going to provide zero value because they still need to think about something, don't they? Well, the ultimate game is to understand what it is that they need to think about. And that might be about the product. It may well be about the price. It might be that they don't understand the finance package. It might be that they want to see some other quotes. And these are all genuine, legitimate concerns that they may have. So all you've got to do is get slick at responding to those concerns with good, solid objections. Yeah, with good, um, solid solutions. And when you've created those solutions, that's when you're getting the customer closer and closer to a yes. Now, put your hands up if you fear the objection when you ask for the business. Raise your hands. Be honest. Who fears the objections? Of course we do. We all do. Because really, we're scared of what, gentlemen and lady? Okay, ladies, we're scared of what? What are we scared of? Rejection. Let's give them a round of applause. We don't like being rejected. Why? What don't we like about being rejected? We don't like hearing the word no. Now, most of us, when we were kids, we didn't care about rejection. Yeah? If we wanted something, we would ask our parents for it and drive them absolutely crazy. Will you like that? Raise your hands. So why is it when we get older, we get, we get scared of hearing the word no? Because when we were younger, we didn't fear it. Now, no is not yet. It's not no. And all you've got to do is retune your mind to enjoy hearing that word. And I always say to everybody that I ever train in sales, if you go into the appointment thinking that they are going to say immediately yes, you are setting yourself up to fail. You know that there's going to be at least three to four objections before you get the deal. Yeah, at least. So if you walk into the sales appointment knowing that I'm going to be um, told four times 
that they're not ready to make a move, you'll understand the process. But don't go in there, okay, fearing them saying not yet or I need to speak to my partner or I'm not ready to buy it or I need to get other quotes or, you know, whatever the objection may be because they are always going to come. I never, ever go into a sales appointment expecting to hear yes, okay? You're never going to get yes on the first run. And if you do, it's you've, you've done something good to the sales gods, yeah? The sales gods have favored you on that appointment. But that's not the norm. It's not realistic. And it doesn't matter how good your presentation is. You must understand that the art of good um, closing is in the close. Does everybody understand the difference between the presentation and the close? And do you compartmentalize the two? Because if you don't, I'm going to break it down for you. The first hour is the presentation, okay? In that section, it is your opportunity to flex. It's your opportunity to show your customer how good you are. The product, the process, the company, the brand, the core values, why you're different, how you stand out from the crowd, how you're going to take care of the customer. You get to sell with passion with enthusiasm, you get to build rapport, you get to make a connection, okay, you get to create a friend. That's what the whole point of the presentation is. Now, if you're following our process, you should not finish that presentation, okay, um, within less than one hour. You're doing it in 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, okay, you're shortcutting the process. If you shortcut the process, you are fundamentally breaking what works. And don't forget, I've employed hundreds and hundreds of sales guys over the last 10 years. And one thing that happened at Impra, okay, and effectively, if we imagine that everybody here is now selling for their own business, so you are a sales guy when you're selling, okay, um, I used to get people that would come to work for me, and they didn't want to do that process. They wanted to do their own process and they thought that spending less time, okay, was going to build a, was going to get them a better deal. And they saw that spending a lot more time was a waste of their time. But actual, in actual fact, we used to measure. We all had a system. So they'd have a tablet. They had to log in when they got to the house and log out when they left. 30 minutes, no deal. 20 minutes, no deal. 40 minutes, no deal. 50 minutes, no deal. One hour mark, deal. 1.15, deal. Two hours, deal. Two and a half hours, deal. So the amount of time you spend with the customer is key. Because how am I going to get you to drop me uh, 3,000 pounds, okay, within an hour? I've got to be damn good, right? Are you giving away free grand for a deal for somebody when you meet them in an hour? Now imagine if you're only in my house for 20 minutes. Why on earth am I going to trust in you? I haven't had a chance to build your relationship yet. You imagine what we do. Okay, we do a whole discovery day. We do nine hours of free content before we ask for your business. Yeah? We're willing to put on a whole day, nine hours of training, okay, and relationship building and rapport building. Because if you've never met me, 
and you've seen my video online and you come down to our training academy and I ask you to join our academy for X amount of money within 30 minutes, so I do it over a phone call, what's the likelihood of you building no like and trust? It's very low, isn't it? I know that it takes ages to build a relationship with somebody and I'm prepared to put my money up front and my time up front and my resources up front. I can't ask you guys to invest in the training program. You've never done it before in 30 minutes or three hours. I know it takes a certain amount of time for people to build no like and trust. And it's no, and it's no different in any sales relationship. What I want you to write down, guys, is minimum viable dose. Minimum viable dose. Now, let me put that into perspective. On a packet of Nurofen, how many tablets does it tell you to take? How many? Two. Everybody knows that, right? It's two. What happens if you take half a Nurofen? Not a lot. Okay. So what happens if you go into a sales appointment and you're in there for 30 minutes? Not a lot. Okay. Minimum viable dose. That might be... Okay, and I'm telling you that an hour is the minimum, minimum viable dose, not the maximum, the minimum viable dose. Okay, if you want to do deals at high ticket, high margin, above market rate, okay, because you've got to build rapport. And I don't care how slick you are, no one's building rapport in 30 minutes. No one. It's too short of a time frame. Yeah, even if you're best of the best, that's tough to do. Minimum viable dose, don't miss it. Because you could have the best offer with the best price, with the best value. And if you come into my house and I walk in and go, well, I'll do this boiler. Let's say I walked into your home and I did, and it was a four grand job and I said, I'm going to do it for a grand in 10 minutes. How many people would tell me they wouldn't buy that? Quite a lot, right? Too good to be true. So it's not about price, is it? Because if it was about price, everybody would snap your hand off at that point. But they wouldn't because they still don't know you effectively. Then what most people are doing is they're trying to shortcut the presentation and you're having to do all the work in the follow-up. And then you've got to do three or four follow-up calls and that's where you're building the rapport. Well, it's so much easier just to close the deal in the home. Because I don't know about you, but following up takes a lot of time. Evenings, weekends, it's hard, right? And even if you do the presentation, do the pitch and the close well, you still got to follow up. So don't think that this is a silver bullet because it isn't. But I want to leave a home knowing I've done the minimum viable dose. So I know that I've just wasted my time. I haven't benefited. Now, I break a sales appointment down into two structures, the presentation and the close. So if you do this process properly, it's an hour. Yeah, by the time you've gone in, built rapport, you've done your survey properly, flow cup, socket and see, okay, magna clean demo, water pressure test kit, FLIR radiator analyzer if you're going to use that, okay. By the time you've then gone through the brochure, it's a good 20 minutes to do that brochure properly, okay. So you're about an hour to this point before you're moving into the close. Now, what you've also got to understand is the close is not one question. It is not. Come in, champ. Find a seat. Um, it is not one question. It's not, would you like to go ahead? No, I need to think about it. Or I need to speak to my partner. Okay, when are they free? I'm not free. All right, no problem. Well, um, I'll call you in a couple of days then. This is what every salesperson does in the majority. They spend an hour 
doing a world-class presentation. And how long do you think they spend on the clothes, guys? And then you're good, some of you are going to be doing this, right? How long? Five fucking minutes. Five minutes on the most important part, right? That's the most important bit. Because remember, presenting doesn't pay bills. Closing fucking deals pays bills. And it is your duty and your obligation to get good at closing or your company, your people, your family will struggle. Because businesses that thrive, okay, are businesses that sell, not businesses that can't close. And, you know, I thank Grant Cardone in America for teaching me this in my early 20s. And that dedication to learning about sales and selling in my 20s has allowed me to acquire skills that will pay me for a lifetime. And not just six-figure sums, but multi-million pound sums. So wherever you are in the journey right now, this bit here is the best investment you will ever make. You've got to trust me on this. These sales skills are so valuable to you because you're all business owners. And the more that you learn about sales, the more that you can multiply. Because who in this room currently doesn't have a sales team? Raise your hands. Okay. And who does? Fantastic. Yeah. So about 10% of the academy's currently got a sales team. Well, the whole point of a sales team is to multiply the revenue. It's to get Lewis doing X amount. So then he can duplicate what he's doing. So eventually he gets enough salespeople around him so he can get back in the driving seat and run his company. Because the role of a business owner, a CEO, an MD is not to sit sales appointments. That's where you start and you get out of it as fast as you can. Yeah, because you've got to run a business. And I don't want you to get out of it, though, because you don't like it. I want you to learn to love it. But you've got a bigger picture to look at as a CEO or an MD. So you can't do sales appointments all the time, or it's too intense, right? It takes a lot of focus. Yeah, it takes a lot of focus. And then you've got major balancing acts, and it's really tough to run, and you'll get burnout and everything else that will come from that, right? So you just got to manage your time and protect your time, but you have to then build a sales team around you. So the game is multiplication, but you've got to get good at it to be respected in front of your team. My team respect me because I know what I'm talking about in most of the departments to a very high level. They know that I've got the answers in a lot of cases. And if you're going to run a sales team and a high performance one, you need to be, okay, on point. You don't need to be the best salesman. If you can be great, but you need to be able to get the respect of the team that you have so they listen to what you're telling them to do. Because the problem with most salespeople, okay, they're arrogant and they think they know it all. And they don't like taking instruction and they don't like advice and they think they know best, right? Because that's what salespeople are out. They got ego. They got bravado. Of course, we think we're the fucking best. If we don't, we shouldn't be in sales. Because a lot of part, a key part of selling is about confidence, guys. It's about having the confidence. You've got to believe that you're number one in the marketplace to be number one in the marketplace. Does that make sense to everyone? I want to go in selling my business and my brand like it's the best thing since sliced bread. And if you believe it, your customers will start to believe it. But if you don't believe it, okay, then they're not going to believe it. So the close. I want you to get comfortable now spending 30 minutes on the close. Okay, 30 minutes. That's an extra 25 minutes. So what I used to do, and I, mean, I used to be petrified. 
by the way, just like probably many of you here. Okay, I used to hate it. I mean, before I learned about sales, I used to be out the door as quickly as I could. If they asked me about the price, I'd tell them I couldn't tell them one. I need to come work it out. I'd have to I'll send it to you in a few days. Don't ask me about price. I'm scared to talk about selling my product, right? I don't want to talk to you about that right now. Why? What the fuck was wrong with me? I'm in business. Why can't I tell you a price? Why am I scared? And I was. And I really, really was. Okay, so what you're feeling, if you do feel like that, is not unnatural. Okay, I went on the same journey, but then I also got pissed off thinking, what am I doing? Okay, I want to grow my company. Come on, grow some balls. Yeah, and just ask for the business. And I remember when I did, the first couple of times I got rejected. And then after somebody just said yes, and I thought, wow, that was easy. Why haven't I been doing this all this time? You know, I've been waiting and sending quotes and causing myself more work in the evening. And then once I got the first yes, I realized that in a lot of cases, there were a lot more no's coming and I wasn't prepared for that bit. So I started to learn about objection handling and going in for the no's. And there's a great book that, you know, many we've recommended over the years. And I want you to get this book and it's called Go For No. If you haven't already listened to it, listen to it. If you have, listen to it again. That was my Bible. You know, you're on the road for 12 hours a day if you're out pitching deals, right? You've got to be on the road for 12 hours a day to sit five good appointments with the driving time in between. You've got a lot of dead time. Yeah, get the audio books on. Yeah, fuck talk sport or the radio. Yeah, we're on go for no. Drill it into your mind because at each appointment you need that buzz and it gives you that motivation to go and close the deal. And then you've got to realize, again, that minimum viable dose, and I'm telling you this, okay, I've studied and analyzed it for years, you need to be aiming for three minimum objections before you're getting a customer into the realms of saying yes. Okay, that's three times. That's me saying, would you like to go ahead, Mrs. Smith? Okay, no, I need to speak to my partner. Okay, where is your partner? Um, he's currently upstairs. Okay, can you go and get him from downstairs? Okay, then the partner comes downstairs. Ah, oh, we've got other quotes to come in. Okay, but if, if you buy today, I've got X, Y, and Z and a price match promise and so on and so forth. Until you've gone through at least that minimum viable process of objection handling the basics, you'll not get the customer into a position of saying yes. Uh, currently right now, be honest, who's leaving way before four no, three no's? Who's leaving way before three no's? Okay, that's 60% of you guys. You're leaving your business on the table. Yeah, just this alone is leaving huge amounts of business on the table because you're giving up before you've got um, to the position of where, remember, humans are kind of like boilers, yeah, in the sense that there is a process. You don't just go into a boiler when you fault find and start ripping stuff out, yeah, if you're an experienced engineer, do you? you know that there's a sequence of testing and that actually you have to go through each one of these tests before you can move to stage two, okay? And humans are no different. They need a certain amount of time spent on reassuring, objection handling, and answering the uh, questions that they've got before you're tuning them into a place of where they will say yes. If you understand this, okay, your conversion rate's going to go up. I heard um, you say about, you know, I had leads and um, I only did a certain amount. Now, the immediate go-to um, is, you know, I had X amount of leads and the leads are crap. And that's usually what most people say. But what I say is look at your sales performance first and foremost, because the leads are the leads. 
Yeah. And you'll only ever get the leads that the market serves you. And that could be someone that's ready to buy or someone that's only got a tiny bit of interest. But if you're only good at selling when somebody's got a broken down boiler, the husband and wife are both in the house and they've got 10 grand of cash out on the fucking table. okay? then you're only going to get one deal every um, 20 days. If you get good at taking somebody that wanted a service and can convince them the benefits of not getting a service and buying a new boiler, that's where you've got good skills. Does that make sense? Where you're turning someone that's luke lukewarm into piping fucking hot. Okay, because you're showing them the features and benefits of why it'd be good to do a longer term investment than servicing the boiler. So don't look for the easy ones. I always say they're sent by the sales gods. And you're, and you're grateful for those golden goose customers, but they don't come at scale. And it isn't to do with the marketing, it's to do with getting better at sales and getting better at selling and being better equipped to handle. And understanding the mechanics around the timing, being in for an hour, doing the process properly, not shortcutting it. All of these points really make sure that you're ticking that um, human psychology buying pattern buying pattern box that I need you to all understand. Or you're going to keep going in trying to close this machine off, not really understanding how the whole thing works. Yeah, because that sequence that I have created that you guys have bought into is a sequence that's the blueprint to close fucking deals. And it works, but you've got to follow it all the way through. So when we get to the close, you've got to spend the 30 minutes. And I was about to say that you know, I got comfortable after listening, really, from Go For Go For No. It made sense to me. You know, their sales organization in that book, they set no goals. I was thinking, setting no goals? And they used to award the guys in their company for who got the most no's. And what do you think if they were the number one guy at getting no's, what also were they the number one guy at? Making sales. That's what they were the number one guy at. Because the more no's that you get, the more yeses you're ultimately going to receive. The penny dropped, let's go for no. So then I got into a position where they would say, I need to think about it. And then I'd nestle down into the chair and get a little bit more comfortable. I'd, and then I'd watch my sales guys when I'd go out and train them. They're already packing the bag before they've even said the price. Yeah. Has anybody found themselves doing that? Already trying to wrap the appointment because you think the customer's already not going to buy? Anyone in the room, you're already, scar you're already scarpering out the door? Yeah. That's a no-go because this costs you money. And, you know, if you're working for a business and you're a sales guy, is there any sales guys in the room? Yeah. These, you know, this business isn't cheap for your um, bosses, right, for the CEOs. So you've got to put in the time. This acquisition of sales costs a lot of money. There's a lot of money going into the marketing. There's a lot of money going into the infrastructure. So we've got to get these deals because we need them to pay. Yeah, to cover our money and cover our costs and make us the profit. So we've got to do it right because we've got to close the deals. So you spend the time on the close and understand that the close is a sequence. And I said, um, as my fundamental rule, you stay for three no's as a minimum and you stay for a maximum of 12. <laughs> and everybody laughs and they think, oh, you can't stay for 12. And then they say... <laughs> A maximum of 12. I mean, um, uh, you stay for a maximum of 12. Now, everybody laughed, and a lot, of, and, and that's almost a bit of a nervous laugh for a lot of us, because we think that 12 means that we're being what? Pushy, right? Everyone's associating this objection handling thing to being pushy. The last time I objection handled and was pushy 
was I don't even remember, okay? Because I don't objection handle in a pushy way. I'm having a conversation. And the way that you flow it into the conversation is I'm only going to go to 12 if we're having a good conversation. Does that make sense to you guys? It's not a negative. And in actual fact, it's a great way to flex because you get to spend more time with the customer. So we want to go for a role over the 12. And, you're, and again, if you can be conscious, competent, and as you're talking, imagine this thing as a timeline and that you're up, you've got 12 checkpoints. And if you're conscious and you can think and speak at the same time of your ejection handling and you're measuring, what you'll start to notice is that certain individuals drop in at a certain time. And you'll say, I've just got to five. Boom. All of a sudden, you just watch someone's energy change. And they go from, yeah, all right, let's do it. But imagine if you would gave up two objections before and you just didn't ask that one extra time or you didn't solve that additional problem. You'd be leaving that house without a deal. And someone sharper than you on it is going to come and take it because someone's winning the business. Would you agree? It's better that you guys win it than you let someone else have it. OK, and you've got to be hungry. You've got to be hungry. I had a meeting with this week with the founder of HomeServe. His name's Richard Harpin, multi-billionaire, okay? Do you know how many times I've followed up this guy since 2018? Yeah, six years I've been hunting this guy. Six fucking years. And I finally got him in a room with him on um, Tuesday morning in London, yeah? So, and he almost said to me, he was talking, and the whole point of it was about the eight principles of building a billion dollar empire. This was his um, piece on the mastermind. And he said about persistence and how you can't give up. And he almost side-eyed me, yeah, when he said it. And I thought, you know what? He's talking to me because he knows how many times I've hit his LinkedIn DMs, right? To try and get an appointment with the guy. And um, so some people want to see how bad you want it. Because that's what I like to do. Yeah, I want to see how bad you want it. I get my kicks. Because if you don't want it and you're prepared to walk away, then you probably don't need the business. Okay? If you're fighting for it, you're hungry, and I want to win the business. And that does not make you look desperate if it's done in the right way. So you want to go from free all the way up to 12. And the tone of the conversation sets when you back off. But if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's usually you that ends the close, that ends the appointment, not the customer. Does that make sense? Because the customer, unless she's told you to get out, okay, isn't ending the conversation. You're the one that usually goes, oh, I've asked a couple of too many times now. I better back off. Yeah, I better back off before I upset this customer. And you pack your bag and you leave. But actually, you've got to get good at sensing and knowing when to back off. And if they're getting a little bit agitated, because objection handling does come with a little bit of agitation. Okay, you're not going to, um, it's not going to be smooth riding all of the time. Okay, so you've got to be cheeky and you've got to try. And on a rare occasion, that can offend the customer. But so what? Because they're not even a customer at that point. You can't be too precious about this stuff if you want to win business for your company. Yeah. If you get a customer that's a little bit annoyed with you because you've asked too many times, then I'd much rather that you did that than not asking at all when you keep walking away and coming here and saying that you've only got 1% conversion rate on all of this stuff when we're promising you a return on investment. Yeah. Because you don't get anywhere in life giving up in anything that you do. Yeah. So when you're in a sales appointment, you don't give up. But you're always courteous, you're polite, you're never aggressive, okay? You never um, 
disagree with the customer. It's all handled in a very, very nice way. This is why I never associate selling with being pushy because I never push. Okay, I'm always I'm handling it in a very positive way. But there's always an element of having to um, chase the close because you're trying to convince someone to do what they can't commit to doing, not because they don't want to do it. If you ever ask your partner what they want for dinner, can they decide? Now imagine that and getting someone to commit to buying a fucking boiler. No one can commit. So a good salesperson is someone that can persuade. Would you agree? Yeah? Getting them to actually make a decision. Because in life, most people can't. And if you know that you're competing with people that just can't make a decision, then all you've got to do is get good at persuasion. And that's the mechanics. That's what will make you a great sales individual. And replicating that throughout your organization and creating that as a culture will make your business a thriving direct sales organization that wins businesses, that wins business and brings in lots and lots of cash flow. So with that being said, um, I know I said I'd come on and do some objection handling training. So I won't take up too much. I'll do five more minutes. So that really gives you the concept. Now all you've got to get good at is mastering the five objections. Because every time I speak to a different customer, they say the same thing in a slightly different way. So don't think that when you're hearing an objection, it's the first time that you've ever heard it. It's always the same objection, just done in a slightly different way. So if you can get good at closing that deal, handling that objection, you're getting closer to a yes. So has anybody got any objections that they can't overcome, that they're struggling with? Go for it. Okay, waiting for another quote. And this is the one that you hear time and time and time again. So in the simplest response, we say, okay, fantastic. And we recommend that you get lots of quotes. But can I ask, what is it that you're looking for from the other quote? That's the first response. Because I can't handle that in any other way, can I? Because at the moment, I don't have enough information to understand why they want the other quote. So the simplest response to all objections, first and foremost, is, okay, why do you need to do that? Because if I get that question asked, that's the primary question, then I can start getting some more information to better build my case as to why you should buy from me now and not wait for the objection. So what comes after I want to get some other quotes? What's the next part of the combo? Okay, cool. So you're coming out more expensive. So that's kind of a different one to waiting to get other quotes because that's when they've already had the quotes. Yeah. So I'll come to that one. But what um, what would you be hearing next at this stage? You want to get other quotes? I want to see if there is a better quote. Great. Okay. So realistically, and you know, we know what they want to know. Is it fucking cheaper or not? That's what they really want to know. We're going to say that so direct. Or sometimes we might, depending on the rapport that we've built. Okay, so you want to get some other quotes, completely understand that. Why is that? Okay, because you want to see what else there is in the market. Well, there are two elements to any um, purchase, Mrs. Smith. Number one is the price, and number one is the product. So if you go to our competitor analysis, I can show you that no one's got a product like our product. We've got X, Y, Z, power flush certificate, power flush, boiler, 10-year warranty, um, scale reducer. Uh, okay, all of this stuff. Right, we've been here for an hour and a half. We've done a 5.5 star survey. I've tested the water, you told me the other guy didn't. I've tested the uh, socket and see, you told me the other guy didn't. 
So I've done a fully intensive here for you right now, yeah? So there's no product like it. So now what you've done by ticking that box is you've become unmatched on the product. Now, of course, your product's got to be better. You can't say it if your product is inferior. Hence why Impra, the whole game was to know the competition. And you see that competitor analysis page. I'm always adding stuff to it. Yeah? Customer property protection. What's that, Dave? It's uh, dust sheets. Yeah? Well, I'm listing it out as customer property protection because it sounds cool. It's in, my, it's in my quote, okay? And everybody else expects that. If you don't tell them you're going to take the rubbish away and put it in your quote, they don't assume. You're assuming, but you're not adding it as an extra point. So you've actually got to look for stuff to add because you want to be superior. So you've got to have a superior product, okay? Then number two is price. That's it. All you're really, when you're trying to get someone to buy into you, is have I got the superior product and have I got the price right? The price doesn't need to be cheaper if the product's superior. If the product's identical and you're more expensive, then of course they're going to have a problem with the price. Would you agree? No one wants to pay more for the same. They want to pay more for different. So if your product isn't different, that's why they're kicking off about the price. Because if it was different, they wouldn't have a problem with the price. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah? You solve that problem and you win-win. So we've got product and we've got price. Now, how do we handle the price objection? Well, I'm so confident about our product and service that on our competitor analysis page, right next to it, I've got a price match promise. So you might want to go and get a quote from um, JV's Plumbing and Heating down the road, okay? But I can tell you now that if he's a smaller business, he's going to be £400 cheaper but he's not gonna have X, Y, and Z. And if it's British gas, they're gonna be more expensive and they're not gonna have X, Y, and Z. I'm not afraid to tell Mrs. Smith that someone's cheaper in the marketplace. I'm not here to be cheap. But if you want the best product for a mid-market price, then I'm your go-to guy. And if you place the 10% deposit down today, not only will we secure your installation spot, but you're also gonna secure today's special offer and we will, we will beat the quote by 100 pounds. And then if you choose not to go with us, it's 100% fully refundable. So I'm trying to close the deal there based on the price match promise and the um, competitor analysis. Yeah? Make sense? Beat the quote by 100 pounds. That's if you've got a price match promise in your offer. Yeah. Then I'm going to beat it by 100 pounds. But I'm never going to beat it because my product's superior. This is the, this is the key. If there was a scale reducer in the quote and we were 500 pound more expensive, mine's got a scale reducer. I don't give a shit whether it's 20 quid or not to buy, right? It's got a fucking scale reducer. So I've told you I'll do it like for like. If it isn't in there, it's not like for like. So at that point, I don't have any problem with walking away from the business. If they don't want to do it, then that's okay. But it's better to get a, a deposit than it is to walk away on those tricky customers with nothing. Yeah, because then they've got to ring you back, haven't they? and give you a chance to pitch rather than you having to chase them and explain why your quote um, is different. So I was always pushing my guys to close on the price match because I'd rather see a deposit from that appointment to show me that you've done something than walk away with absolutely nothing and then you've got to follow up the deal and we probably won't get it anyway. Because if the other guy's any good, he'll pitch as to why we're more expensive and why our quote's way over the top. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't forget, there's another version of you coming in trying to take you down. Right? So you've always got that. That's why we want to close the deal, because there's no better thing to do than face-to-face. Follow-up is good, but if you're here, you're here. Okay, so you said about, uh, what was yours? Okay, if someone, if someone comes, if you're more expensive than them. Yeah? Okay, great. So if you're more expensive than them, 
what do we need to have? Better product. Yeah, and then we're going to go line for line. Boiler, boiler, flu, flu, um, uh, uh, socket and um, uh, scale reducer, magna clean, power flush, power flush certificate, customer property protect. I'm going line for line. Okay, and I want to make sure that on average, my qu quote's got one or two, three more things than the other person. And then what I'm doing is I'm put. I mean, the power flush is one that I always love to use in the power flush certificate because I associated a thousand pounds to the value of that product that usually smashed most people out the water because they were doing a hot flush and chemical cleanse and magna cleanse. So it's perceived value without costing me actual physical material money. Yeah. So I've got to have some elements in my quote that are of more value than what the other company has. Then I can justify that. Then if it's really, really close, I start to go into the size of the organization. Now, if you are small and you're trying to do that, you've got to pretend it's more than what it is. So you've got to blag it for a bit about the resources and the infrastructure and stuff that you've got at the back end. But so be it, okay? You have to fake it till you make it. That's what you've got to do, yeah? But you're also making sure um, here that you make it because if you don't close deals you won't make it yeah so it's replicating what's in the quote but again what I don't want to do here is to be shocked I'm only what happens if I go in and I'm more if they're more I'm more expensive and I and I'm shocked what haven't I done research I'm already going in there knowing I already know my qualifiers are asking who they've got to quote who's coming round Gonna have BG, Glow Green, and somebody else. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm already knowing what's about I'm about to walk into. Would you all agree? You know roughly, but know with detail. Spend the time. Did you ask the customer they've already been quoted? Absolutely. That's absolutely what you must do on the qualification at the front end. Remember as yeah, first on the phone. We have a whole qualification checklist, yeah, that you guys can tap into. So ask Claudia or ask Malvina. You got the qualification script. It's got all the questions on for you that my guys used to ask. Do they own the property? Are they interested in finance? How many quotes have they had? What's their main driver of buying the product? Are they interested in any specific manufacturers? How quickly are they looking to make a decision? How urgent is this installation needed to be? So you can frame it up and book the appointment in with enough info to arm you or your sales guys with that right info, yeah? So you want to do as much kind of fact find, yeah, before we go into the property. And that helps you as well to so stop wasting time. You know, you turn up there and it's not the owner. Or, you know, is the decision maker going to be in? I don't want to come and pitch to your 14-year-old son that's let me in from fucking school. Right? I want to pitch to people that are buying the boiler. Yeah, our time is valuable. But don't be afraid to ask. Now, some of them might go, why, why does that matter? Are you going to try and sell me? Well, no, but if you're willing to, if you want to purchase this product, the decision maker needs to be there. Or you're going to get secondhand information. And that's no good. So I'd rather wait until they are. Yeah? Any other objections that we can't overcome? Talking to the partner. Okay, fantastic. So, good one. Now, depending on where the partner is, I've been known to get them out of bed. Yeah. Get them out of the garden. Wherever they are, let's go find them. Go to their workplace. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to ask, right? I remember I got a six grand deal in front of my new London sales manager. And we'd been out and we'd done four appointments, no sale. It was half six. I was somewhere inside North London in the M25. I had to come back to Peterborough. It was a two and a half hour run. You know, I'm out with this guy for the first day teaching him the blueprint. I'd close no deals. So, um, you know, I'm in this house and I'm like, right, Miss, Mrs. Smith, she wants everything. 
I, mean, I couldn't believe it. It was like the perfect last appointment. I want a new central heating system. I want the radiators. I want the valves doing. I want a nest. I want everything else. And I was like, okay, fantastic. Would you like to go ahead? Yes, I would. The only thing is, I need to speak to my partner. I was like, all right, cool. Where is he? Oh, he's upstairs asleep on nights. Okay. The boiler hadn't been working for three days, though, to this point. And he worked in a factory. So, dude was doing 12 hour shifts in a factory. Yeah. So, he the guy needs a shower. And I know that, right? And she knows that as well. And he probably knows that. Um, so I said, will you go get him out of bed? No, oh, I don't think I'd be very happy if I wake him up. I said, well, is he going to be more unhappy about being woken up or more unhappy about having no boiler for the next few days? Because we can come and start this for you tomorrow. So she went and got him out of bed, brought him downstairs. He came down rubbing his eyes. Two guys in his kitchen. He's got a quote for six and a half grand. And I'm asking him to get his credit card out to make the deposit then and there. Um, lo and behold, he did. He was over the moon, wasn't pissed off in the slightest, was very, very grateful. And we went and installed the boiler the next day. Yeah. So, and the central heat system. That's what you've got to put yourself into the position of thinking. Well, did I do better customer service by getting him out of bed? Or did I do worse customer service by getting him out of bed? Made the sale. But I also did it with a good, not just to make the sale. I did it because I understood what the guy would need. You see what I'm saying? So I believed I did it for good customer service and I wanted the sale, but I always lead with good value first. I, don't, I think if you do people, if you're genuine in your approach to getting the sale because you really want to help people, that's when the sales come. If you're always about the money and just closing the deal, that's when it makes it harder. I genuinely am looking to solve people's problems in any sales scenario. I care about the circumstances and I try to create solutions around those circumstances to support them. So if you do that, it leads with a very good um, step forward and you see naturally that you win more business. Yeah, if You make it about the customer and not about the money. The money should follow. If they're not there, which can happen in the daytime, you've got to weigh up two choices. Now, we don't close every deal. It's impossible to do. Some of the deals we just can't close. And a lot of the ones we can't close are ones where the customer is on their own. Yeah, you go in, you know, paint the picture. You know, a lot of cases we'd go into appointments. It would be the, uh, the wife was at home, you know, maybe a newborn baby or a young toddler. Okay, husband's at work. She's really, really nice, loves everything you say, but just won't make the decision. Now, that woman is never going to make the decision if she's agreed she's making it with her husband. Doesn't matter how good you are, or what deals you chuck on the table, she's not going to make the decision in, in, in very um, few cases. So what you've got to understand is going into them appointments, should you have better qualified it and understood that that was going to be the case? Because that's where I would start first. Yeah. Rather than getting better at objection handling those types of appointments, get better at not going to them in the first place. Does that make sense? Because they're hard to do. Yeah. I can't give you a magic spell to fixing all of these ones. But what I can do is don't put yourself in that scenario in the first place. And how do you counter the husband being at work? What do you do? How do you do that? How do you counter that from the beginning? Make sure he's there. And, and what about if the guy's at work and he's got no holiday? Six o'clock in the evening, Saturday. I used to go out on a Saturday, 100% conversion. Five boilers, done. Go out on a Sunday, three or four boilers, done. 
I used to do that as the owner on top of running the business every single um, week. If my sales guys wouldn't go out, I would. I mean, I could add an extra 10 boilers a week to my business just by working two days. That's 40 boilers, just me, plus the other 10, 20 people, depending on the size of the business and when it was. So you've got big wins on the Saturdays. You encourage your guys to go on the Saturdays rather than the weekdays. But the problem is, okay, when you've got sales teams, they don't want to do the weekends and the evenings all of the time. But then you've got to say to them, well, get better at closing in the fucking day then. But the problem is, it's impossible, okay, to send, um, you know, it doesn't matter how good the company is, you can't get the husband and wife there in the daytime. No one's taking the day off to quote for a boiler, okay, unless they really care about it, right? And most people don't. They don't care that much. So go at the right times. Then... Again, because we're looking for the, the extra 10% of the 10% when I give you some of these recommendations. It's not a, it's not a this is going to work every time, but in the few instances, it may get your conversion slightly up, which is simply to say, okay, can we give him a quick call? It's better for me to talk to him while I'm here. Then he's on the phone. Okay, and depending on, you know, they're always protective though, don't forget. You're in the home with their missus. They're not there. You're now trying to close a deal. They're then thinking you're pushing their missus to close a deal. So you've got to handle the situation very, very carefully. Yeah, you've got to tiptoe around it, haven't you? Yeah. So you then got to speak to the guy and you've got to say, this is the price. This is the product. I wanted to talk to you. You know, and if you're getting a good vibe from the guy, say, you know, I did want to jump on the phone today, especially you guys, if you're not the owner, because you've got the flex of saying that there's a company um, offer out at the moment. Yeah. So you can say, yeah, well, I have to call you because my sales manager's, you know, given us an X amount of discount for the next deal. And you can kind of use that angle. There's got to be something really juicy on the table to get the guy on the phone to um, buy or to get his missus to commit then and there. It's hard, especially if they don't urgently need it or it's not broken down. You know, it's almost impossible to do it. Um, but what I would also do in that scenario, guys, is if you show up to an appointment and you've got the qualification wrong, go back. Don't even bother pitching. I would, I would hold my, um, I would, I would keep it back and I'd go again. Yeah. Hi, De hi, Miss Smith. How are you? Yeah. Okay. No problem. You know, is your husband here? Are you both decision making? Yeah, we are. Okay. Cool. Well, just looking at it, it's probably better if I come back a little bit later when he's back from work or on the weekend, just because I've got so much technical stuff to go through. Yeah. I probably need you both in the home. Does that make sense? So you want to get back as quickly as you can. And then what you've done is set yourself up in a good light in front of the customer and you've got both of the decision makers there. Yeah, just to put yourself in a stronger stance um, when you get into um, the appointment. Because not everything can be done just by being good at responses. You've also got to be conscious of all of the other circumstances. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah, there's quite a lot to this game. You know, the timings of how long you're in the appointment, what your brochure says, how long you spend objection handling. Did we qualify properly at the beginning? Like there's all of these different dynamics that make up your sales process as a whole. And what you really want to have down is, you know, a focus on these key elements on paper. So you're conscious of where the conversion rates are landing in so you can work on each parts of the process to improve. But the main piece that I would say to you guys is, you know the standard objections, partner, price, you know, product, quote, time. They're usually the main ones. So if you can get responses to all of those, then that's where you need to focus. But based on the rough survey that we did, okay, 
my number one piece of advice for each and every one of you is to just simply spend more time on the close. Yeah? On supporting the customer, addressing their concerns, and then watch the magic happen. Yeah? Just get comfortable spending more time and more business will just drop in naturally over that process. Right, Paul, how's that, buddy? I know you're conscious, I know you've got a lot to do, so I'm going to leave it there. Has anybody got any more questions for me before I go? What's the best time? In the day, all depends on when the decision makers are going to be there. Evenings and weekends are the best because they're always there. Um, Monday mornings at 10 o'clock is rubbish, you know, because they're all both at work. It's hard to do. Breakdowns, remember, immediately, as fast as you can get in. And the other appointments when both of the decision makers are there. And then ultimately, create great offers. Don't forget, there's a great book. Alex Hormozzi, $100 million offers, mm. yeah? I may have told you before, or you might have heard me say about the 29,000 pound Lamborghini. I've got a 300 grand Lamborghini outside and I'm gonna sell it for 30 grand, who wants to buy it? Put your hands up, who's gonna buy it off me right now? Yeah, everyone would buy it, right? <laughs> or you'd fucking find the money. <laughs> so what you gotta do is create offers so good that your people want to buy. Remember, arm yourself and your salespeople with great offers. And naturally, you'll win lots more business. Yeah? Because it gives your salespeople something to get excited about. It gives you something to get excited about. And it gives the customer something to get excited about. Because who likes buying with a deal? Who likes a deal? Okay, perfect. $100 million offers. And basically, his old concept is, is just stack the value of the product so good Okay, that it's a no-brainer. You got, listen, I'm transparent. You see what I do. You see how we, how we sell. If you guys bought the Discovery Day, you will see how much stuff is stacked into this training program. There's endless amounts of resource and time that you're getting from us. Okay, for the price, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and that's what you want to make your products and services. It doesn't mean you've got to be cheap. It just means that the value stack has got to way outweigh how much the product um, costs to the customer. Does that make sense? If you can find a way to get your boiler value stacked at five Gs and it only costs two and a half and you can articulate five grand's worth of value, then you're in a strong position. And that's what we used to do with Impra simply was, if we were 2,800 and they were 2,200, well, in my package, if you've got a power flush, if you've got a power flush certificate, okay, that customer would now be 3,200 if they put in what we put and we're only 2,008. So they're actually 400 pound more expensive, aren't they? Technically, yeah, and so that wins the day. So this is why I say about, you know, I know I focus most on selling today, guys, but this is why I want you to become great marketeers. Start, and, and you've got to go through a lot, yeah, this transition and journey that you're all going on, there's a lot of, of evolution that you need to take on, not just your business that you guys need to go through. And that's number one, getting comfortable with selling, which does take time, could take some of you weeks, some of you months, and could take some of you years, okay? And, and, and even if you pick it up quickly, it, sales is a commitment. For, I, I watch sales training every day just because I love it and I enjoy it. And sales is everything. It's not just in business. I've got to sell people every day. I've got to sell my team why they should work hard. I've got to sell investors why they should give me money. I've got to sell 
partners on why they should finance our product. I've got to sell people that want to come and work for me and hire people. Everything's sales, would you agree? Mm. So, you know, we're always in a position where we need to be in tune um, with how we close everyone because everything is a close. It's always a close. But then we've got to be a great marketeer because at the moment you're using lead companies and that's fantastic. But how do you expand beyond that? Well, you learn about marketing and you become a great marketeer. Yeah. And that will help um, your business to start creating great offers. So, you know, don't offers are marketing as well as sales combined. If you can find a way to put the message to market, stack the value, and you've got good sales skills, then your business is going to start to thrive. And, you know, one final point. I'm going to shut up in a second, <laughs> I promise. Okay? Hey, you keep going, Joe. Uh, this is fantastic. One final point <laughs> is what can you do to diversify your product offering when the time is right? Okay, depending on how big you've got and how much you've scaled. Like, Lewis, you're in a really good position now where there might be a diversification opportunity coming into your business to reinforce the activity in the towns. You know, whether you're going to move to solar or EV or you're going to underpin your boiler offer with something slightly different, then that will help, won't it? You know, I recommend it to every single boiler company that you all do EVs. Not because you're an EV business, but because I would have in my brochure, if I was doing just boilers now, I would have an EV offer. By the way, this week, if you buy our boiler, you're going to get an EV installed for half price, okay, within the package. Who uses an electrician to do their wire-ups? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So a good 45% of you, yeah? Well, all you've got to do if he's there anyway, just give him another 200 quid and get him to fit an EV, so he takes 200, the EV costs you four, but you're pitching it out at, you know, 1,500 quid. So you're adding on 700 into the quote. So Missy Smith's now getting a boiler and she's getting a um, EV fitted at the home. Again, that will help the conversion rate go up without changing your business model. Yeah, so it becomes an easy way to cover costs, but look like you're adding in huge amounts of additional value. Does that make sense for everyone, yeah? So a slight diversification will allow you to improve your offer. Because it may be a case of, you know, when you run out of things to add, that's when you've got to evolve. How can you put more into the package? That's what I would be looking at. And again, you know, you guys are in a position. My final statement will be, don't forget you're building a direct sales and installation business. The fact that you're currently selling boilers just means that you're selling boilers. But you're building an infrastructure that should be able to fit boilers should be able to fit air source, should be able to fit solar, and should be able to fit EV. You put those four elements into your company, it will become indestructible. And also, what you don't have to do is keep expanding towns using lead gen companies. You actually get to stay in the same area and reinforce with lead gen companies, but build a stronger infrastructure. Because the only way to grow is to expand, isn't it? In this strategy using lead gen businesses, because there's a finite amount of leads you can get in any town. Yeah? So you want to expand your product offering into that town, or you've got to diversify your marketing. You have a choice. Growth is either expand on, well, there's three ways to grow. You either expand territory, okay, you change product offer in the same town, or you diversify your marketing in the same town. Yeah, that's how the game needs to work. But just see that concept, and don't let boilers hold you back. Drive the boilers now, perfect the model, and then add more stuff in if you need to get more competitive in the market. If you need anything else, reach out to me, guys. Thank you very much. We have a round of applause, please, Joseph.